You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So we'll do a little uh, definition here. Chasteneth is talking about discipline. Okay, uh, Discipline, correction. Scourging is talking about whipping, or as people say down south, whooping. How many of you got whoopings when you were growing up? You didn't get whippings, you got whoopings. Yes? Wow, you survived. You survived. And you turned out all right, didn't you? Hmm. Interesting. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. Every son whom he receiveth, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? For if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. That's an ugly word today, and people take that word and they twist it like they do other Bible words. But we can't water down what the Bible is saying. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I'm going to preach tonight briefly on chastening, the chastening hand of the Lord. Heavenly Father, help us as we look into this subject that not many preachers preach on, that uh, some of us don't like to think about, uh, but it should be a part of our lives that we are familiar with. It should be something, uh, it's one of your greatest tools to teach us and mold us and grow us. So help us now as Christians to see what your word says as far as this matter of being corrected by our Heavenly Father so that we respond to it in the right way and that we learn our lesson in the way that we must learn it. And we ask this in your name, amen. When you're a child, there are a lot of things that you don't know. Uh, You guess a lot as a child. You speculate about things that you just can't know. And people kind of give you the benefit of the doubt when you're a child. I don't know exactly when the cutoff is. I mean, there should be a time. uh, Starting around this age, I think right here, where you start to know some things. Uh, But when you're a child, the people just kind of give you a break. However, there is one thing that every child knows very quickly. I mean, from a very young age, they they know it. They are assured of it. In fact, you learn this one thing so quickly, so deeply, so clearly that it stays with you even when you are an adult. Here's the one thing. Every child knows 
when they are in trouble with their parents. There's a name. John Timothy. Oh, no. What did I do? The middle name. How many of you is the middle name? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. Now, I only call my son by his middle name, so that should tell you a little bit about him. There's a question. Are you kidding me? Oh, when I heard that from my mom, are you kidding me? <laughs> I wish I was. Can I, can I take it back? There's a phrase, go to your room, take your punishment. I'm going to deal with you later, uh, you know, all those different things. And you're like, how many... Like, how many deaths do I need to die before later comes to fruition, right? Oh, goodness. Just get it over with now. Just kill me now. Don't tell me later. There's a gesture. You know, my, my dad, he would just give the, from across the room. Like, I can't believe I, I, I brought that into the world. <laughs> or there was the, that, that was my mom. <laughs> that was not my dad. There's a look. There's a look that you get from your parents. And, and it's, it's not really, I mean, it's their face. It's not like they change their face, but there's just something about their face, a certain way that they contort it. Their eyebrows go to a certain angle that doesn't, it does, just, you know, you know. Like, oh man, I know what that look is. Every mom has it. Every, every dad has it. You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter who you are. And even if you're an adult now, your parents still do it to you. You still know when you're in trouble with your parents. I find it fascinating that of all the relationships that could be used to describe man and God, where you can talk about like master and slave, fitting, king and subject, fitting, you could talk about uh, creator, creation, fitting, the one that is used most often, so often, is father and child. So can we say the same thing as Christians, just like we do as far as our earthly parents are concerned? You know when you're in trouble with God. When you are God's child, it doesn't take, it's not a secret. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that God is speaking to you about something, that God is dealing with you about something, that God is, in the Bible term, chastening you about something. Maybe this chastening comes in the form of inward conviction. And you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have gone there. Should have done something. Sometimes it is just, I mean, it's outward trial. And it's just tang tangible consequences. Now, not every trial is the result of sin. I think we know that. Um, Job's trial wasn't a result of sin. Joseph was tried in prison and he had done nothing wrong. Sometimes Christians just go through trials because we live in a sinful world that doesn't like us. And the Bible says you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted by the world. They hated me. Now how much more are they going to hate you? Um, that's what Jesus said. And I've had trials like that before. I've had trials in my life that just came from maybe a coworker or a friend or, or, or something just because of my faith or my stand or something that I did. But I've also had many trials that I knew were because of something that I did. Because of a punishment. It was, it, it was brought to chasten me for something that I did. 
Now, no matter how the chastening may come, I want us to remember God's purpose for chastening is always the same. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of him. He wants us to grow closer to him. He wants us to grow further away from sin, however you want to put it. He wants you to grow. Parents, think about why we punish our children. We never understood it when we were growing up, when our parents would look at you and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and you wanted to say lies. And there were some times my dad said, oh, you done mess, this is definitely going to hurt you more than it hurts me. But for the most part, <laughs> dad told me this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and you never understand that. But now you know, because no parent enjoys punishing their children. But we love them. We want them to grow. We want them to succeed. And you know how it is. If you spoil your children, you're probably going to have to raise your grandchildren. If you raise your children, then you get to spoil your grandchildren. Raise your children. We, we don't, this generation right here, we don't have a child problem. We have a parent problem. Oh, it's quiet. We have a parent problem. Parents who do not believe that this Bible is relevant anymore as far as how we train our children. God isn't pacing back and forth in heaven wondering, oh, I never thought of how badly the world was going to progress when I wrote my Bible. He knows exactly what he's doing. And by the way, if you think it's bad today, it was a lot worse when God wrote this. People were sacrificing children. I'm not going to get into that. But again, all of that to say, think of us as earthly parents. Why do we chasten our children? Why do we punish our children? It's not because we enjoy it, but it's because they need to learn that in life, there are rules, there are guidelines, there are things that you can either learn now or you will learn them a much harder way later. But here's the main concern of my message. There are some mistakes that we can make when God is chastening us. There are mistakes that we can make that make the situation a lot harder than it should be. I've told you this recently, but we're working on one of our children, and I'll give you three guesses, but you'll probably only need one. We're working on one of our children to take your punishment. You only make it worse when you do not take your punishment. Now she's getting better. But how many times do we, as the child of God, not take our punishment? I want us to beware of these mistakes. Mistake number one, beware of missing before. And when I say missing, I'm talking about like longing, like I miss you type thing. Beware of missing before. Now here's what I mean by this. For every Christian... There was a time in our life when God didn't chasten us. There was a time when God didn't rebuke and he didn't correct or he didn't instruct us because we weren't his children. But when you become a child of God, things change. When you become a child of God, things change. Look in verse 7. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? When God corrects you, 
That is pretty good proof that you are his child. Have you ever been in a grocery store and wanted to correct somebody else's child? But you don't because they are not yours. And there's something that, what's it called? Prison time, if you were to do that. But you know it, okay, especially if you were saved later in life, if you came to know Jesus later in life, if you trusted in him as Savior later in life, you had habits, you had sins in your life, you had things that you did that never bothered you before, but suddenly they started to bother you. You listened to a song that you had always listened to before and suddenly it was shut that off. And you're thinking, where is this coming from? And then you turn on a movie or you watch something and it says, no, 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 I don't want you watching that anymore. And you just get this burning in your heart until you turn it off. And until you set it aside, maybe it's your vocabulary. Believe it or not, my precious mother confesses that she had what I would call a vocabulary, a diverse vocabulary, to the point where I mean, she said, after I got saved, I said something, and it was just for the first time ever. Why did you say that? Well, I've been saying it for years. I've been saying it since I was a kid. Well, you're not going to say that anymore. Where does that come from? Maybe it's suddenly, you know, I mean, you've never tithed before in your life, and suddenly it's, you're going to start tithing. Okay? Maybe it's, uh, a failure to serve uh, in an area. Maybe you're just reading your Bible and you read something and it's like God says, that, that you stop. Or you hear a message and it, maybe the preacher just says it straight out. Maybe he doesn't. It's something that has nothing to do with the message and it's just, I want you to stop doing that. You know what that feels like. Sometimes it's a lot more obvious. I haven't been pastoring for very long, but I have had people, I'm, I'm only going to give examples of, of people that have come up to me since I have been pastor, who told me, I have lost my marriage. My husband left me. I've had another person come up and say, I lost my job. I've had another person come up and say, I've lost my child. My child is dead. I've had other people say, my life is completely falling apart right now. And I know it's because I'm not right with God. I know that's what it's for. God has made it clear to me that I lost my husband because I'm not right with him. That I lost my child because I'm not right with him. They've told me that from their own mouth. You know what all those people had in common? They were God's child. So the temptation, the danger at that point is to start looking over the fence and to start comparing our life to the lives of other people who seem to have it a lot easier than we do. They seem to be happy and carefree they have money, they have prosperity, they have friends, they're popular. I mean, everything just seems to be going right for them. And, and on top of that, no punishment. There's just no punishment for anything. It's like they can do whatever they want and they don't care. 
Now, rather than explaining this in my own words, I'm going to leave it to another man who's a lot more spiritual than myself. Turn to Psalm 73, if you would. Keep your place in Hebrews 12, but let's turn to Psalm 73. Look at how he starts off here. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Can we agree with that statement? God is good to his people? Yes? Yes? Are we here? Are we alive? We're breathing? All right. Truly God is good to, he's good to his people. Yes, we know that. But, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. When you were growing up, did you ever have a time where you saw another kid your age do something and you thought, if I ever did that, I'd be dead. My dad would kill me. This is what this man is saying. I'm looking at these people who are just doing whatever they want. They set their mouth against the heavens. They talk against God. They blaspheme him. They're covered with violence and hatred and just all this stuff that I, I, I'd never get away with that. And they're just going off and doing it whenever they want. Look at verse 10. Therefore his people, God's people, return hither. Return here to what? Well, they return to this perplexing thought of how the wicked seem to be getting away with all these things. And waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, how doth God know? Because we, the, we read in the Bible, God sees their evil, he sees their wickedness, he sees everything that they're doing, and we think, how, how could he see that and just let it go? How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in, wishes, in riches. And look what he says. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. What am I doing? That, that is what he's saying. If that's what brings prosperity and if that's what brings just this happy, then, then why did I do what I did? I'm envious of them. Why can't my life be that way? Look in verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went unto the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. 
As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Lord, I made a mistake, is what he's saying. I made a mistake. I was wrong. Sure, they have prosperity, but in a moment, it falls away. How many, how many people do we hear every single year that have more fame, more money, more prosperity, more cars, more of everything that we sometimes envy? And they commit suicide. Or they overdose on drugs. And in an instant, they lose everything. You know why? They're standing, yeah, they're standing maybe higher than you as far as the world is concerned, but it's a real slippery place. And one push from God and they're down. The Bible says he sets you upon a rock. He sets his children upon a rock. And the winds may blow and the world may throw whatever they want at you and you'll stand. I don't think God would tell us this. We can go back to Hebrews 12. I don't think God would tell us this in the Bible unless we had a tendency to think as well. Sometimes, you know, I, I think I'd just be better off on my own. And like Asaph, we say, you know, all, all their ungodliness, look at all that they do, and all they have is prosperity and happiness and whatever they wish. And me, I mean, my life is nowhere, is nowhere near compared to what they're doing. And I'm getting chastened all the time. That, that doesn't make any sense. It's just, church, they're not God's children. They're not his children. He doesn't chasten people who are not his child. And they may have many things in this life that we may never have. But you have something they will never have. You have a relationship with God. They'll never have that. They'll never know what it's like to be able to speak to him, the king of kings and lord of lords at any moment, and have him here. And not just here. He, he inclines our ear down. The Bible says his eyelids try. Now God's not up in heaven blinking. The Bible's talking about how, Riley, when you pray to him, and when you're in trouble, his, he, you know when you, I always take off my glasses, you see that, right? And everyone's just a blur right now, okay? But you know when you're trying to see something afar off, and you really just want everything else to go away, what do you do? You kind of squint like that? <laughs> Don't say it. What is God saying? He's saying, when, when you, when my child wants to speak to me, when my child is going through something, I lean down and I look at you as if you were the only person in this world. They will never have that. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all be partakers, you are bastards and not sons. You're illegitimate. You're not a real child. And they may say all day, God is my, God is my king and, and all this. No punishment. No, no chastening that comes in their life for sin. They're not God's child. What do we know about Ham? 
the nation, the nation ham. <laughs> Not like the food. <laughs> the, the teens are like, uh, it's delicious. <laughs> what do we know about the nation? Come on, let's, let's get our minds on a spiritual plane here, church. <laughs> now everyone's hungry. Ham is delicious, by the way. Let's, let's take that home with us. What do, we, what do we know? What do we know about that nation? What, Brother Fiji? I know you're a, a student of the Bible. So of the three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, what do we know about Ham as far as, far as his father is concerned? Yeah. Yeah, he was cursed. Read Psalm 105. Not right now. Okay, everyone's like, okay. <laughs> Do you know a descendant of Ham was a man named Mizraim? Mizraim moved to a place called Egypt. Egypt, the Egyptians were the descendants of Ham. So when you think of Egypt in the Bible... What do you think of? The world, yes, but they're the picture, they're the epitome of luxury and wealth. Yeah, it's just people went to Egypt. If, if pleasure, Egypt. An easy life, Egypt. And, and the Bible says that God, that Abraham cursed those people. But listen, the... The curse of Ham was not the correction and instruction of God. It was the lack thereof. That was the curse. Fine, go off and do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Live however you want. And see where that gets you. But when God delivered his people out of Egypt, and he made them his own, just like he delivered you and me, from my sin, and made us his child. And then what does God try to do? He starts to correct his people, and he starts to teach his people how to be closer to him, how to be a peculiar people, a holy nation, and the entire time, what are his people saying? Wish we were back in Egypt. When we're going through a time of chastening, beware of missing before that chastening ever came. Chastening from God means that you are his child. And you need to remember. You need to determine in your mind. It is better to be under the chastening hand of God than the comforting hand of the world. It is better for me to be chastened by God than to be comforted by sin. The sooner we make that decision, the better it will be. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. You're his child. Just like I tell you, I care about my child, so I'm not going to let them do certain things. Now here's where we'll say, fine, I'll endure it, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. No, 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 no. That's the second mistake that we make. Beware of missing before. Number two, beware of despising during the chastening. Look in verse 5 and 6 of Hebrews chapter 12. 
And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Why? Why shouldn't we despise it? Why shouldn't we faint during it? Because for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I remember times when my dad would whoop me. Now, growing up, it went away when we were teenagers, and uh, it got, I kind of wish it didn't, but when we were growing up, you would walk in, and there was a kind of teal, if I can remember, it was like a teal or a purple list posted on the door of all, like, the common crimes that a child commits. And right next to it was the amount of spankings that you got depending on that. So it was like disobedience five, lying seven. I mean, there, there were degrees. There were degrees of punishment. So when you heard go to your room, you would basically walk in and start going over the list and like figuring out your prison sentence, you know? Like, are they going to say I disobeyed too? Because, oh, back talk, that was one of them. Talking back, that was five. Um, you know, it's just, uh, oh, man. I still remember that. She still kept that list. And you would look at it. Okay. But I remember my, I, I, I hated, I hated spankings. They hurt. They were in every way unpleasant. I made a really big mistake when I was about 12 or 13 years old. My mom spanked me, and I turned around to my beloved mother, and I smiled at her, and I said, that didn't hurt. <laughs> and she said, from now on, your father will give you your spankings. Can I take it back? It hurt. It hurt bad. It hurt really bad. I mean, sometimes, i got to be honest, after my spankings, my dad would leave the room, and I would whisper under my breath, I hate you. I hate you. My dad didn't love me. He didn't care about me. He just wanted to cause me pain. He just found every little area that I messed up, and he punished me for it. And I'd sit in my room crying and angry in the most masculine way possible. Because after, afterwards, he would, always, he would spank me and he would say, think about what you did. I'm like, you, I don't want to think about what I did. <laughs> but every single time, My dad would come back in, and he'd get down on my level, and he'd look me in the eye, and he'd, he'd put his arms around me, and he'd say, son, I love you. I love you so much. And he would always say, you remind me so much of me. And I don't want you to learn the lessons that I had to learn the hard way. And he'd hug me and he'd hold me so tight. And he'd say, I, I don't like, I don't like this. I don't like punishing you. 
but I love you too much to give up on you. I love you too much just to let you do whatever you want. And all the anger and all the disdain that I had for my dad would melt away. And I knew it. I knew my dad loved me. And that's why he did what he did. And he wanted what was best for me. And now I'm so thankful that he did what he did. I'm thankful for those spankings. I'm thankful for the punishment. I'm thankful for the lectures. I'm thankful that my parents loved me enough to punish me and teach me and challenge me to grow. So if your question is, how, how do you not despise when the Lord chastens you? Remember how much he loves you. Each and every one of us, think about this, each and every one of us deserves an eternity of punishment in hell. Our sins are so many. Our transgressions against God are, are more than can be counted. Our iniquities are as black as can be. But Jesus loved us so much that when he saw God's chastening hand of wrath coming down, he took the punishment for us. Starting on that night in Gethsemane, the Bible says he, the, the cup that my father gives to me, should I not drink it? Jesus never did anything to deserve chastening. He never sinned. There was no guile found in his mouth. He was perfect, the precious son of God himself. But he drank that bitter cup of chastening for you and me because he saw you. He saw me facing eternity in hell, and he said, no, I can't, I can't do that. Every slap, every punch, every hair ripped out, every lash on his back, his body, every thorn pressed into his scalp, every curse word that was thrown his way, the heavy cross, the jagged nails, the agony of thirst, the humiliation and shame of it all, the slow torture of the cross. That was for us. That was our punishment. That was our chastening. But he took it. That's the truth of God's love. Don't despise the chastening of the one who took our greatest punishment for us. What could he ever do to us that we did not deserve? And so much more. Happy should be the servant whom his Lord desires to improve. Yes, he should be joyful whom God chooses to chasten. Indeed, he should be thankful whom God does not deceive by withholding correction and so leading that servant to think he needs it not. Every chastening rod, every scourging whip from a God that loves us enough to give us his own son is for our good. It's for our profit. It's because he cares about us so that we can grow. Look at verse 9 and 10. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? 
For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Let's continue in verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And this leads me to the last mistake. So first, beware of missing before. Beware of despising during. And beware of doubting that there will ever be an afterword. There will be an afterword. Sometimes in the midst of punishment, you know, you, we may understand that it means that we're God's child. We may understand that. We may understand that it's for our own good and it's based out of God's love and we deserve much more than we're getting. We may understand all of that. But we start doubting that the chastening is ever going to end. And while God brought the chastening for us to grow, the only thing we grow is impatient. And instead of just taking our punishment and learning from it, we reject it. And instead of it bringing us closer to him, we choose to walk away from him. Many of those people who came up and told me, this has happened because I am not right with God. I have no idea where they are. Christian, what is it going to take? What will it take for God to get our attention? Further than that, what is it going to take for God to keep our attention? I can't say, I cannot say exactly when the chastening ends, but it will end. There will be an afterward. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And I want to encourage you tonight. Don't you see how wonderful it is to be God's child? And you may say right now, wonderful not so much right now. It doesn't feel wonderful. Well, hey, 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 hey. No chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, we belong to a heavenly father that loves us enough, that cares enough about us to chasten us and try us now so that we can grow and do more for him afterward. Every branch that bringeth forth fruit, he leaves alone. He purgeth it. He cuts away our pride. He takes away our bitterness. He prunes back our ungratefulness. He snips away our will. He ties back our bad habits. Why? So that it may bring forth more fruit. It's always for our profit, always for his glory. And some here are going through chastening right now. And if you're not, we will. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But remember that chastening yieldeth. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We are comforted. We have peace in knowing that we can be more like Christ, that we can be more dead to sin, more alive to God through chastening. That's the purpose of it all. Unto... What does the Bible say in verse 11? Unto 
Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto all his children. No. Unto them which are exercised thereby. You know what that tells me? That tells me there is a possibility of going through the chastening of God, coming out afterward without learning our lesson. It yields, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them who are exercised thereby. Let God work on you. Let God deal with you. Let him purge you. Let him correct you. When is the last time we prayed, Lord, don't take away your conviction from me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me how you've gone to work before and you've had, a new, you've had a new position and you've told your worldly boss before, teach me how to do better. When I do something wrong, give me constructive criticism. Tell me where I make a mistake so that I can get better and progress in my job and we don't do the same with our life. And growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. When's the last time we prayed that? Let him do that. Don't make the mistake of missing before. It's better to be under God's chastening than it is to be in the world's pleasure. Don't make the mistake of despising it during. Every trial and chastening is based out of God's love and they're for our profit. And someday there will be an afterward. Without chastening, we can't, get, we can't grow. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. He loves you. He loves you, just like my dad loved me. He wants what's best for you, even through especially through chasing. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.